All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our next episode of Going Live with Good Soil. I think we're on episode 63. Is that right, Matt? I think this is episode 63. Yeah. And this Close is a very... Six weeks away from the milestone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a very, very special episode for anyone uh, watching on YouTube uh, because we are doing this. Um, not only are we doing this at the same time as Twitter Spaces like we always have, but this time we're doing it with a new initiative on Twitter Spaces for uh, Tesla Tuesday. So um, on Twitter Spaces, uh, there's these back-to-back um, uh, uh, live streams or, or spaces going on pretty much all day long that our friend, very good friend Bradford Ferguson is coordinating and organizing. And so, uh, yeah, it's really, really cool to be part of this and see what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take credit. I mean, ideas are meaningless without execution, and I think other people have had this idea. And uh, and 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 yeah. So, <laughs> just to go back on that, um, Matt, you want to test your audio one more time because Alex said on the YouTube live it wasn't coming through. So, Matt, test it out. And Alec will tell us real quick. Sorry. Okay, people, still nothing for Matt on YouTube live. Well, I'll talk for a little bit while Matt looks at this. Yes. Okay. Test, can you hear me? Okay, all right. Yeah, that, that sounds good. And uh, we'll do that. Thanks, Brad, for the suggestion. Matt's audio is all good now on YouTube. So Matt was saying that this Twitter spaces back-to-back uh, -back is my brainchild, a bit of my brainchild. But that, that's that's way too much. I don't, you know, I think a lot of people had this similar idea. I just voiced it with a platform on Twitter. And I think other people, Bradford's really doing the one executing. Ideas are nothing without execution. You know, there's all kinds of quotes. It's true. I'm too lazy to execute new ideas these days. So uh, I got enough ideas I'm trying to execute. So, so uh, I'm glad someone's working on this and uh, it's exciting to see how far this goes. Um, yeah, and like Bradford said on, on Twitter Spaces, for those of you on YouTube who couldn't hear Bradford, he just mentioned that at the end, uh, some of the questions on Twitter Spaces, we will also address uh, the Q&A portion of the live stream. And our live stream will will be normal for YouTube people. And then uh, we'll cut it off about after an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, and then maybe do some live interactive audio questions with the Twitter spaces folks for the last 20 minutes. Um, Cause I think yeah, we're and if, a whole 90 minute segment on Twitter spaces for today. And for, for those who are watching this on YouTube, either live or, or recorded, uh, you can follow this account. It's TSLA underscore 24 seven. Um, so that's a great account to follow. Uh, there's a lot of spaces going on there. So I'd, I'd recommend that as a, a new, new kind of resource. Yeah. And I've already seen a lot of fake Tesla 24 seven handles. So be careful. <laughs> there's already underscore Tesla underscore 24 seven. There's already fake ones. So make sure it's the right one that you follow. <laughs> so be careful. Anyway, let's kick it off. The the, the uh, format is we touch on macro market. We got a lot of interesting uh, stuff going on there. And then we um, talk about uh, mostly Tesla, uh, Elon stuff. Um, and then today we have a special uh, episode where we're going to go through 
uh, a preview of our earning of the good soil investment um, Q3 earnings per share model that Matt uh, works very diligently on. And we've gone over it together a few times. And so excited to share that. So why don't we start with macro? Big, big news, big news. CPI came in a little bit hotter than expected and the market really corrected downwards as a result. Um, what's your interpretation, Matt? I mean, macro market is just its own thing and we all have to pay attention to it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think a lot of the, the kind of bulls out there were really hoping that we'd be uh, turning the corner on inflation. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking there was a reasonable probability that we'd see, you know, like a negative month over month uh, movement in CPI. Uh, and instead, it was actually a little bit hotter than than expectation. So, I mean, it, it came in at, at 0.1% month over month, which, you know, doesn't sound so much. I think it was, what was it, 8.3 or 8.6 like that, Some, something like that year over year. But, you know, from my yeah. point of view, the, the year over year is kind of less meaningful right now. Yeah. Um, so your markets, I mean, you saw right at eight, you know, the eight thirty Eastern posting, the markets just dropped like a rock when that came. So, um, yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, what's really changed is there's essentially a hundred percent chance. I think now of a 75 basis point hike, uh, in September. Uh, but I, I think people are expecting maybe another 75 basis points in November now, instead of, you know, kind of tapering, maybe hold, or maybe it's 50 basis points or something like that. So. Um, the expectations for a more aggressive Fed, I think, have been raised. So, I mean, yeah. if, if you look at the chart, one of the um, things I thought was was pretty interesting was if you look at like the actual chart of the month over month inflation figures, it really doesn't look too bad because it was like, you know, the last 12 months essentially were like these these huge kind of spike bars. Uh, and in the last two months, they're the, the, you know, the bars are, are much lower. Um, I think Gary Black posted that. So. Um, it does seem like we're trending in the right direction, but it may not be as as quick as as maybe we'd been hoping it could be. I don't know. But what were yeah. your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the charts, and I'm you know um, that the month over month is by far so much more important to me in terms of actual data of where we are actually at versus the year over year is almost meaningless to me. Like the month over month is where it's at, and the Fed, you know, they said they're gonna base their decisions on data. I think 0.1%, you know, CPI isn't terrible. I mean, I guess expectations were going to, if you look at, speaking of charts, I'm not a technical analysis guy by any means, but you got it. You can't ignore the last two weeks. The NASDAQ has gone up, you know, five plus percent uh, in the last week and a half or something like that. If I look at the monthly chart on that, the NASDAQ. So, you know, it's been anticipating um, a CPI print that, could be perceived as friendly to interest rates, I guess. And, um, you know, people have been buying. So it's like a mini bubble, you know, temporary mini bubble. That's how I interpret this kind of reaction to the CPI print, this fast 4% drop. We're down 4% on the NASDAQ right now. So on the day. And I think a lot of that is giving back so much of the, you know, mini bubble that was created the last week and a half as, uh, I guess, people were trying to speculate that, you know, maybe the Fed wasn't going to raise rates 75 basis points, you know, and now it's like a guarantee. And yeah. so it was sort of like, a, you know, buying the rumor, selling the news in a way because CPI is still very low, I think, but it's not as low. Like I, I, I still think even if CPI was negative 0.1%, I still think the NASDAQ might've dropped 2% just on that, just because it would have been a buy the news, sell the rumor event almost, you know? Yeah, it could be like it's been such a strange year, really. I mean, where like good news has been bad news and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like I like 
you, you just never know. But that's why I think it's kind of more important yeah. now than ever to really focus on fundamentals for companies. And, and you know, we'll do that in a minute here with, with Tesla. But it's like you, nobody really can predict macro. Like all the experts I've seen, you know, talking about it, like pretty much everybody's getting it wrong in some way or, or another. Um, yeah. So if you can't win on the big picture, uh, you, there's certainly there's things you can do to hedge. But I think the best thing you can do is pick really good companies within that space that are going to you know win out in the long run. So yeah, uh, that's what I think is most important right now. And this is just a really good this type of macro stuff is a really good reminder of never to believe people who say, oh, this stock or that stock Tesla is going to double this year or something. You know, like, you know, you just the macro market determines the medium term and short term movement of stocks in many cases. And that could be, you know, a year or less, like the stock with the best business case beating earnings could still get hammered hard because the whole macro market is is tanking like it is now with growth stocks and interest rates raised, being raised and such. So you just, you know, a business and stock, you have to separate the two. Stocks are highly dependent on what the macro markets are doing. So you really want a stable macro market environment, which is not what we're in. Um, and, you know, speaking of the whole macro market, one other thing to touch on is the Ukraine-Russia development. It seems to be de-risking to some degree because uh, Russia seems to be losing uh, momentum quickly. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't know how the markets are reacting to it or if the markets are even reacting to it, to be honest. It's, you know, when the Russia invasion first happened, there was certainly uh, a downward reaction in the markets, uh, you know, higher risk. But now that if Russia is losing, I'm not sure the market's going to react inversely and go up because of that, though. What, what do you think, man? Yeah, it, I, I think it could even be a negative in, in the short term of just because markets hate uncertainty. So, I mean, imagine something yeah. that seems like it's really good news on the surface where you're like, let's say, you know, Putin is deposed or, you know, steps down or, or whatever and the, the Russian forces retreat, well, you may have a power vacuum and that could lead to civil unrest yeah. in, in Russia. And, and if that, mm. that could be a situation that's, you know, potentially even worse from a macro perspective. And, and uncertainty. Like, uncertainty, yeah. yeah. And of course, like the most important thing, and we say this all the time, is that you know, like the Ukrainians should like have the right to their sovereignty and, and like end the killing and the destruction that's going on there. Um, the human toll is, is way more important than anything with, with markets. But since this is a, a kind of conversation around markets, we, I feel the need to address that. And and I think until there's some kind of certainty or or at least a consensus expectation that, um, you know, something something to the effect of um, a new regime is going to take charge in Russia and will kind of normalize gas exports, for example, uh, like that would be very good news. But I, we're, we're ways away, away from there. Um, so yeah. I, I don't really have any expectations that this is necessarily going to translate to, you know, good news for markets. But what yeah. about you? How, how are you thinking? About I'm in the this? same boat. Yeah. If anything, it's more uncertainty um, and like the power vacuum play out. You know, who knows what happens or Putin's back into a corner, knows his he's imminently uh, going to get overthrown or, gonna you know, if he loses the battle, you know, there's lots of um, things to potentially worry about uncertainties that the market doesn't like. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to, you know, even if best case Ukraine gets its sovereignty, you still have that power vacuum potential in Russia or Russia getting, um, you know, disintegrating into multiple territories or something. You know, there's lots of things that could happen. Nu major nuclear power, obviously, doing stuff like that is always a big risk to the entire world. Right. So the market mm -hmm. might panic again and drop 5% suddenly if, if, if Russia seems like it's about to break up into little territories or something, who knows? Yeah. 
Well, and, and yeah. how do you secure the, you know, the nuclear warheads during a transition of power as significant as that? I mean, that's something the world has never really seen before. Right. So, yeah, um, it's a it's yeah. a it's I, th I think there's there's reasonable cause for uncertainty around the macro, especially around like these the geopolitical issues. But um, certainly I think it's it's definitely good news on the whole that uh, Ukraine appears to be gaining so much momentum and, and frankly, just kind of embarrassing uh, the yeah. Russian army, which a lot of yeah. the experts weren't predicting. For humanity, it's good news, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for the markets, I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> let's move on to the main event. Everyone, you know, this is Tesla is our big thing. We talk about Tesla mostly. Is there anything else macro CPI related? We want. Oh, one thing with the CPI we wanted to dive into because it's such a big part of Tesla's day to day movement. Is the is the macro market where everyone is seen, right? So you get a day like today. Then the good news is the Nasdaq is down four percent. And Tesla is not even is only down 3.9%. I'm pretty happy with that. That's like a win to me. You know, when mm -hmm. Tesla is down less than what the Nasdaq is on a big day like that, that's that's a win for me. So um, anyway, with the CPI print, one thing I wanted to touch on is uh, some of the some of the owner. What is it? Owners uh, rent owners owners, owners equivalent rent. Yeah, owners equivalent rent. The acronym OER. Some people call it, but that's a like. 40% calculation of the CPI. And Matt, you posted a, a interview or a video about that the other day. What, how does that affect the CPI in sort of a delayed way? Can you touch on that real quick so that people understand that maybe the CPI being 0.1%, it's, it's really, you know, it's just, it gives a little more color onto that. Yeah. So I have seen maybe something of a, of a misconception around a lot of people saying like, oh, you know, the Fed's raising interest rates. And so that, you know, makes mortgages more expensive. And so a lot of people are saying in their specific cities, they're seeing home prices fall. And so they, they're kind of presuming that that translates directly to CPI. Um, but it, it doesn't with the way that the calculations are made. And I, I think with good reason, but I'll just take a, a minute maybe to walk through that. So there are two components of, of housing in the CPI calculation. Uh, one is just like monthly rent. So they take a survey of, of renters and say, okay, how much are you, you paying now? And kind of uh, peg the, the, the price change from the previous data point. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, but for a homeowner, so you and I own our homes. And so if home prices rise or fall, we don't necessarily feel the impact of that because you know we have our price already locked in and our mortgage rates locked in. So there, there's no uh, change that's, that's really impactful to, to homeowners. So you know, the Fed saw this, I don't exactly remember when they did this, uh, or it's the BLS, actually, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think, that, that runs this calculation and uh, essentially said, you know what, this is not good because it doesn't take into account what's what's actually kind of happening on the front line So the uh, of the housing market. So the way that they chose to address this was to introduce this figure called owner's equivalent rent. And so essentially, it's a survey of, okay, Emmett, how much would you say you could rent your house for this month? And then um, you know, every, I think it's every six months, they, they kind of re-ask that same question. And so you're looking at the change in homeowners kind of estimation of how much they could rent their home for. Um, I think it's a pretty silly system on honestly, cause like, I have no idea what my house would rent for. <laughs> like, um, so for it to constitute such a huge part of CPI, I think it's, I don't know, maybe it makes sense. I, I think, I think there's reasons that it makes sense, at least relative to just looking at, you know, change in in you know home prices uh when a lot of people don't feel that impact uh but it, it is not without its flaws and i think the biggest thing relevant to today's market is just that uh with that methodology um you know kind of the run-up that we saw in home prices over the last you know 
many years. I, I think those changes are still kind of making their way through the owner's equivalent rent calculation. Uh, and so if home prices do start coming down now, like a lot of people suspect, um, but the point is it just may take several months or even longer for the yeah. owner equivalent rent, you know, kind of component of that calculation to come down. So this could be mm. a, a factor that's kind of elevating the CPI print for uh, longer than than some people might might have otherwise expected. Yeah, no, great explanation. I hope it makes sense to others. It makes sense to me. It's just um, the CPI number, you know, when you really study, I guess, what goes into it, there's all kinds of interesting nuances like that. And that's like 40%, 30 or 40% of the makeup of the CPI, which is, you know, important to, to sort of have an understanding of to some degree. So anyway, let's move on to Tesla. Um, You know, maybe future CPI prints are going to be, you know, not as as bad because of the deflation going on in in renting house renting apartments right now home prices everything's coming down but it takes several quarters for it to catch up i guess but moving on to tesla let's talk about the full self-driving 10.69.2 um rollout right that just came out i drove it a bunch yesterday i got it overnight on sunday night and uh you know this is the latest fsd beta version um, rolled out to, I think, all 100,000 beta testers. I know Robert Scoble, I was listening to him. He was talking a lot about it. And I think um, Warren and some of the other Twitter spaces that were live earlier on Tesla Tuesday were talking about it too. Um, and Matt, you've, you've, uh, you were testing 10.69.1 you know, for the last week or so anyway. But t- yesterday was my first driving. And I drove 10.69.2 excited. And I got out and took my kids to school, rush hour, you know, lots of cars. And coming out of my neighborhood, there's like a miniature Chuck Cook style left turn you got to make. It's like a baby version of what he has to go through, right? But during rush hour, it can still be a little bit stressful. And so I was letting the FSD beta do it. And it's done it before, sometimes very smoothly, sometimes a little nerve wracking. But this time, it just like, I don't know if it was trying to overfit you know, like the median, you know, stoppage, which is not really an option at this particular median to stop at, like in Chuck Cook's turn or what, but it, it made the left. I mean, it started going straight when the coast was clear coming from the left, but there was clearly cars coming, a car coming from the right. And it tried to just like slowly like scoot out in front of it to the point where the car had to like really slow down to let me in. And it was just uncomfortable, you know, like I kind of took it over and just sped up because I didn't want the guy to have to like slow down a whole bunch and think I'm being a jerk or something. And, you know, I, I said to Matt yesterday when we were touching base, I was like, yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. Like, you know, maybe you're not like super cautious, like I was saying last week's live stream. <laughs> maybe they're just like these uncomfortable moments that uh, even people are, are, you know, like, you know, making a left turn. Like I was telling Matt, like, I think maybe in the simulation data, like you would think that in all like the so much simulated tests they do for this, you know, within the simulation environment, um, for the full self-driving neural network, you would think that it would figure out to make a left turn that doesn't, you know, maybe it's just figuring out left turns that don't cause an accident. And so even though that left turn 99.9999% of the time is not going to cause an accident, you know, uh, about about 90% of the time or 95% of the time, it's going to cause an uncomfortable situation where the car that's going down the road from the right has to slow is I'm forcing them to slow down basically. Right. And in a way that I wouldn't, if I was a human driver, so maybe they need to do something with the simulated, because it seems like something that should be trained in the simulated environment very easily, but maybe they need to adjust the logic of that or something to where like only make the left turn. If you're not forcing the other cars to slow down, even though, 
forcing them to slow down won't cause an accident either or something. I don't know. That's just like one idea I thought of. It just seems odd that, that, that it's still doing something like that. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. I mean, this is something we kind of touched on a little bit last week. And, you know, it, it was funny because at that point, like uh, a lot of what people had seen to that point was like the drastic improvement in the Chuck Cook left. And it's like, wow, that's, that's legitimately impressive. Um, but yeah. a lot of what I've been hearing since it's gone a little bit wider is kind of what, what I was saying last week, where like um, things are generally smoother on most turns, but the mistakes that it is making are kind of like more... Um, on very uncomfortable mistakes to, to, to put yeah. it mildly. Um, yeah. So like my, my card, for example, never used to before this, you know, dot 69 update, like start the left turn if it wasn't really clear both ways. And it's doing that all the time now. And, and mm -hmm. so something with the logic does seem like it's off because every once in a while, you've got a Chuck Cook style left turn where like you need to kind of make an aggressive turn into a median. Like, sure, like they've, they've solved that very well, I think. But in 99% yeah. of, of left turns, just wait till both sides are clear and go. And it, and it seems like um, it, it's not doing that in way too many of, of the turns. So, um, yeah, it's it's it was funny in the comments last week. There were all these people like, oh, yeah, Matt looks like a conservative <laughs> driver. So yeah. it's kind yeah. of kind of funny. You're, you're seeing the same sort of things. And, and this I, is, uh, I would say my experience has been like generally worse than yours in general. But it seems like this was a generally a step back for you. Is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, just during the rush hour and then driving back from their school, it was still rush hour and there was like a four-way stop sign intersection that's a little complicated. But in the past, the previous version knew how to take turns and wait its turn. But then there was like, you know, it didn't wait its turn and it just like tried to zip out right in front of like some other guy that was, it was his turn. It was like cutting him off where if he didn't slow down, it would have, they he would have hit me, you know, like, and I had to stop it. And so I think they would have slowed down. Like it wouldn't have caused an accident, but it would have just been like a real kind of a-hole move, you know? And I see an interesting comment from Doge Nation on the YouTube live stream. We've got lots of comments on the live stream. We'll answer some, some of your questions soon. But um, Doge Nation, a live stream, one of my favorite guys here, says autonomous cars driving in, in the world with mainly human drivers will be very different than in the world with all autonomous cars. And when I read that, that just clicked a light bulb in me that all the simulation testing they do, which is like so much, I, my understanding is there's a ton of simulated you know, um, self-driving data that I'm kind of wondering why it's not being fixed from that. It's because... <clears throat> Probably because in the simulated environment, it's all autonomous cars, basically. Like you have a program controlling the cars. You know, it's not humans making human mistakes texting necessarily, you know, like um, while they're driving. So, yeah, I mean, in the simulated environment, all the cars would slow down and let you in. But in the real world, you never know when someone's texting when they're driving or turning back to talk to their kids and they're still driving. They don't think you're going to kind of make them slow down. They hit you, you know, so. That, you know, it's just it's just kind of matching those worlds together is, is a little more difficult. But let me just be clear. I'm still very impressed with the technology. I mean, this is a beta version and that was rush hour. I was one of the most intense rush hour traffics I've had to drive in FSD beta. And for some reason, there were so many cars on the road at that time yesterday. Um, and, you know, the other rest of the drive performed very well. And then the rest of the day, I did several drives with it that wasn't as crazy traffic wise and it performed pretty well like the last version i would say and ju just as good maybe slightly better in certain marginal cases so i'm still very impressed and behind the scenes they're probably making all kinds of like code changes that are going to make it easier to go to single stack so they can make faster improvements and iterations so i think there's a lot to be hopeful for or positive about we're just pointing out a couple of interesting flaws that we've noticed i guess right matt 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is, is like one of the things I've noticed over time is like I'll, I'll have like issues that just persist for months and months and months, and then I get an update, and it's like, oh, that's like that issue which caused me so many headaches is just gone overnight with one software yeah. update. So, um, yeah. I, Hopefully, this is one of those types of issues, um, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, but I just think so many little issues that have been solved that we forget about it. Probably it's like when you have a yeah. toothache or you have like a like a sore, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to go to the doctor for this or something, and then like three days later, it's not bothering you. Totally forget that it ever happened. I feel like yeah. there's a lot of weird nuanced errors with full self driving that you're like, oh, is this gonna be fixed? It's gonna be fixed, and then suddenly it's gone. We forgot that it was even ever an issue. You know. But go on. Yeah, sorry. yeah, for sure. No, I mean, th th that's pretty much what I was going to say is just like thinking back to like October of last year was when I first got it. And at that point, I was just convinced there was like major hardware problems because it was going so slow through intersections. I was like, oh, my gosh, you can't see like just right over there. Like it's clear, like go. And now I'm like, oh, oh, that, that was actually a software issue, not a hardware issue. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And in fact, it was just being overly cautious. Um, and so yeah, I think yeah. now we're, we're in this scenario where it's being a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and in some situations, it's just being you know, too aggressive than it should be. So they've got to dial yeah. that back a little bit. Um, but my my real hope from here, and, and I think this will happen, but I'm curious to kind of experience it, is that the the rate of improvement will accelerate now that we've got this kind of big new software stack that they've uh, introduced. Yeah. Obviously, we're not single stack yet, but I think this is a, a huge kind of change to the software infrastructure that I think they'll be able to iterate on more quickly going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I want to also say one more positive thing about FSD beta is that <clears throat> the actual safety of it is very high, in my opinion. I mean, just by the number of 100,000 beta testers using this. Right. And we haven't seen any we haven't even seen anecdotal cases of like terrible accidents. You know, you'd think by now you'd see at least a couple of anecdotal cases of like, you know, a terrible accident caused because the FSD beta tester wasn't totally prepared to take over at the right time or something like that. You know, so it just seems like the the data of the 100,000 FSD beta tests, imagine how many bad apples there are in the FSD, in the 100, not only yeah, like some sure. of our favorite Tesla Q YouTuber people, or not YouTuber, but, you know, but people trying to make it crash or whatever, you know, like you'd think you'd hear of 100,000 is a huge number. We can't even comprehend. And there's probably an incomprehensible number of bad apples in that group. And, and it's yeah. still not causing problems with the safety you know so i mean there's a big difference it's like there's sure there's safety and there's uncomfortability and i feel like the discomfort uncomfortability you know they got to work on that a lot you know but mm -hmm. the safety seems to be almost entirely solved in my opinion from a statistical point of view and it's just the discomfort of like seeing this thing maneuver in ways that make us uncomfortable because we're like almost cutting off someone else or doing yeah. things we wouldn't necessarily do that's the thing that they're focusing on that'll make it gets a wide adoption, you know? And, yeah. and so this, the safety seems clear in my head that it's like, it's good. It's great. You know? And, uh, it's just the, the, the discomfort is the separate bucket to focus on now. I, I completely agree. And that's a really important point for us all to, to, you know, keep in mind. If you believe Dan O'Dowd, I mean, you'd, you'd imagine that we're all running over kids every other day, uh, just based yeah. on this. He's like, Oh, it's a danger to society. I'm like, the yeah. statistics don't support that point of view. And it's, <laughs> That's yeah. the thing I really hope the regulators and, and NHTSA's, you know, investigating autopilot yeah. right now. And, and I really just hope the data yeah. wins out in the end.
Yeah. And Andrew Bazile, who's a friend of ours, gives a good comment here on the YouTube live counterpoint. And I like to have counterpoints. You know, obviously we like to hear other sides of stories. And and he says, of the 100,000 FSD beta testers, how many are using FSD frequently, right? Many tend to avoid using it in riskier situations. That's all true. But even best case, 10,000, let's say one in 10 people are using it somewhat regularly and testing it to the limit. That's still an incomprehensible number, 10,000 people doing that kind of on the regular, you know, and, and there's going to be a number of bad apples in there. So, you know, just that extra zero of a hundred thousand to me feels like I'm confident that this thing is really safe and it just causes discomfort right now. And like a lot of disengagements, I watch a lot of YouTube. I watched Farzaz the other day. I've watched Chuck Cook. I watched a lot of people and a lot of YouTubers and even me, I disengage it, you know, when I'm uncomfortable not because mm -hmm. an accident is imminent, you know, because I, we don't know if the accident's going to happen. Like the car, if you just let it do its thing, I bet 99.99% of the time it's not going to be yeah. an accident. It's just, it's just going to like make us go, whoa, and it's going to like stop at the last <laughs> second or something, you know, and we're just going to be yeah. like, well, that was a close one. I don't want to do that again, you know? Yeah, so, or you get honked at or like you, yeah, you, get like, you don't want to be a jerk on the road. Like that, a lot of times yeah. I'm like, I can, I know what it's going to do here and I don't want that person to like get freaked out. So I'm going to just take over. Yeah, there's exactly. a lot of that. You don't want to disrupt the status quo of the traffic going on, really. You don't want to be yeah. that person that everyone's looking at, like, what's that idiot doing? You know, like or whatever. <laughs> so so it's just it's just that's that's where we're at right now is getting over that discomfort, um, you know, to make it drive more like a human. I guess that's what they've been saying. So that's true. But from a safe perspective, I think it's it's probably very it seems statistically to be ex extremely safe just from a bird's eye view. Um, yeah. of the numbers, you know, we look at the number of zeros of people using it, you know, so, uh, um, all right, so let's move on. The big feature of today, I think is, uh, we're going to go over, uh, an earnings preview for a Q3. Uh, we've got it, Matt and I talked about it last week. We've been kind of preparing to some degree and, uh, he's really done a great job preparing this model, even more so for, from good soil investments per behalf. And so, you know, if you're not on the YouTube live uh, stream. You won't be able to see it. If you're on Twitter spaces, you won't be able to see it, but we're going to talk you through it. Maybe we'll get some screenshots to add to the Twitter thread later. Um, or you can watch the YouTube recorded thing later to see the screen, but we'll talk everyone through it here. So Matt's got a screen up and Matt, you want to kind of uh, talk us through um, what's going on here? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with maybe an overview. We've done on our channel, uh, many kind of model walkthroughs this time around. Um, th there's been kind of increased commentary in the community that like there's potentially going to be a big beat. And so I wanted to do maybe a bit more of a detailed buildup by plant uh, this time around. So um, came up with, with this model, which um, essentially takes the, 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 the four different plants and, and the destination of where the vehicles are going and tries to kind of hone in on, on ASP and cost of goods sold um, between the different regions. Because I think um, it was more simple to do this in the past when you just said, okay, like China and Model Y are going to be a bigger percent of the delivery. So the gross margin is going to increase. Uh, but with all the complexity of, of, you know, just how significantly the delivery kind of landscape is shifting, I thought it made sense to do a bit of a deeper dive. So we'll kind of walk through the assumptions of, of where we are right now um, and, and kind of uh, what that implies for potential earnings in Q3. Um, so, so this is the kind of format you can see, um, you know, splitting between the, the four plants, like I said, all the different models and then where they are destined to go. And the reason that I think it's important to have the delivery centers instead of only, you know, where the plants are made is that uh, Martin Vieca's comment uh, a couple months ago was that the highest margin um, car was the Model Y made in Shanghai 
but shipped to Europe. So presumably the margin is a lot better on that than like the same Model Y, uh, but a lower trim sold in China. So yeah. trying to get get those splits right, I think is, is pretty important. So we've got the historical deliveries here for Q1 and Q2. Obviously, there's a bit of estimation because Tesla doesn't you know share this level level of detail, uh, but I think it's it's probably directionally accurate. Uh, so so three hundred and ten thousand for Q1 and Q2. Just to remind everyone, two hundred and fifty four thousand, um, right? So yeah, let's yep. just, And then Q3, what are we estimating? Or I guess so, you go into it. Sorry. So yeah, no, 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 that that's 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 a good reminder. So three hundred sixty nine thousand is kind of the estimate for Q three. So I think it's you know on the higher side compared to where Troy Test like is is right now, but maybe not. Like I I think there's plenty of room for Tesla to beat this figure, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think three eighty is is certainly within the realm of possibility. So, but you know, I don't want to bake in all the upsides of the model. That that's one of the things that that we try to you know do very accurately here at Good Soil is you know not just go with the ultra bull case. So. I've got Q4 in here as well, but I think for purposes of, of today's conversation, it, it's really most important to kind of hone in on, on Q3 and, and kind of yes. what are the reasons for some of the changes that we're talking about. So um, just walking through a little bit more of the model. So um, in order to get the, the cost of goods sold for this quarter, I excluded the leases. So you can kind of just ignore that, but it's basically um, just getting rid of those vehicles that are on lease uh, margin instead of um, you know the cost of goods sold. Because the, the cost of goods sold in Q3 um, is going to be different than like the total lease gross margin that carries forward from all the previous quarters. So uh, just that little bit of difference is, is, is in here with the way that I've built it up. Um, so ASP, this, this is a pretty important because there have been so many price increases, but the uh, backlog has been so significant that it's taken a while, I think, for some of the ASPs to uh, make their way through the system. So uh, for those listening in audio only, um, again, it's just ASP like by facility, by destination, um, and by model. So I won't walk through every single number in here, obviously, but I think that the big thing to take away is what are the jumps you know, quarter to quarter? So I've back tested these data so that like that ASP times the deliveries equals the um, the, the total automotive revenue that that's non-lease. Um, so we know like the total number is right, but some of the some of the way the pie is split between the different models or plants might be a little bit different here. Um, but so the 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 big kind of jump in Q2 was around thirty four hundred dollar uh, price increase on average. And then the, the question for Q3 is what amount of price increase will make its way through in Q3? So here I'm assuming another $3,000 kind of price increase that, that makes its way through. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll see. From Q2. From Q2. From Q2. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, so we'll leave it at that just for now so we can kind of keep moving through here. Um, I think the, the really interesting thing is cost of goods sold. So moving down to, to that now, um, you can see like the, I'm estimating the, Model 3 out of Fremont, for example, costs around $38,000, $39,000. The Model Y, we know from some of the disclosures, they, they say is actually cheaper to make than the Model 3, even though it's bigger, uh, presumably because of the, the giga casting and some of those technologies. So I'm assuming, you know, seven to $900 roughly of um, cost savings in Fremont on the Model Y relative to the Model 3. So obviously a lot bigger gross margins there. Um, similarly, in Shanghai, you got like a almost a thousand dollar cost benefit on on model y um the big change in q2 jumping down to, to to that was all the downtime that uh shanghai had so you have to amortize more of the, of the fixed costs and and you just get less economies of scale and that sort of thing so i think the the huge kind of gross margin hit that we saw in 
Q2, uh, and I'm going to jump down here for, for those watching so you can kind of see these numbers um, in a little bit more granularity. Um, so you had higher, this is this is a gross margin kind of chart for those listening. So uh, like I'm showing 33% uh, gross margin for Model 3 going to Europe and 43 in Q1, and I have that dropping to 30 and 40 in Q2 uh, just because of those, those kind of factors. Um, but then if you if you go back up to cost of goods sold, what what I, what I think is a pretty interesting comparison is looking at what is the the Shanghai cost of goods sold in Q1 relative to Q3. In my mind, that that's a really important um, distinction. So I'll zoom out a little bit so we can hopefully try to get these both on the same screen. Let me know if that's too small. Um, nope, looks, okay. looks good. So. Uh, like I'm essentially assuming that there's a modest price or a cost of goods sold increase uh, out of Shanghai from from Q1 to Q3. So Model Three, for example, from 35.5 to 35.8, uh, and mm -hmm. you know the Model Y 34.2 to 34.5. So that's the big question in my mind: is to what extent will the inflation that we've seen um, drive up the cost of goods sold, and to what extent will the uh, pretty big increases in output from that facility offset those those increases and um, and manufacturing and efficiencies they improve upon offset it yeah yeah ex exactly and i think that's the bigger thing and and inflation in china i was looking this up yesterday has not been you know nearly as high as in the united states and and europe so i think it, it could be the case that the cost of goods sold is, is actually lower in q3 relative to q1 um so so that's I think something pretty interesting to keep an eye on. Like I, I could be wrong so the, here. So just to clarify in the chart in Fremont, you're saying the cost of a model Y is like 40 or 41,000, right? Uh, yeah. to, to cost of goods sold. But in Shanghai, we're, we're, this is just where our estimates of our model here that the estimate is the model Y cost, you know, 34,000 and for Europe or 30,000, even as low as 30 or 31,000 for China to be yeah. made uh, for China delivered model wise, lower trim model wise made in China and delivered in China. So that's a big stark, that's a stark difference. The cost of good, that's that's a 10,000 or $11,000 difference right there between China model Y produced and uh, Fremont model Y produced. That's 25% lower. Yeah, that's a yeah. big difference. And I do think, like you said, like the the trim makes a big difference there. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's presumably a lot more performance, um, you know, model wise coming out of Fremont than in in you know the China market for China, so yeah. um, that that's why you see the difference between the Europe figure, which is thirty four thousand five hundred, and the yeah. uh, China local figure, which is you know a cost of thirty thousand six sixty. And this is just the beginning of us trying to split up the factories. It's going to be super interesting to see this data uh, develop that we estimate as Berlin and Austin ramp up right now, we're putting in like $50,000 as placeholders and stuff, you know, like yeah. we don't have a lot of data. They're not producing in volume, but as they do produce in volume, it'll be super interesting for us to put our estimates in for those mm -hmm. factories as well. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. No, 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 that, that, that's helpful information. So, um, you know, and, and one of the interesting things that came out just this morning, uh, Martin said that the cost of goods sold in recent quarters has been thirty-seven thousand. That actually ties up uh, almost exactly to to what I had in here on on Q1. Yeah. So, so we know that yeah. this is a good anchor. We know Q2 was a, a, an anomaly because of of um, Shanghai. So then the question is, okay, well, what's 
what's going to happen in Q3 then? And, and I think it's most reasonable to presume that Shanghai will be very similar to Q1 because you've got, like we said, some, some inflation being offset by higher deliveries and kind of increased efficiency out of that factory. And that you're going to see a little bit of cost increase uh, quarter over quarter in, in Fremont. And then a little, I mean, Berlin and Austin hardly even matter because the deliveries are so small, but I'm assuming that those go from, you know, like really terrible gross margins to like not quite so terrible, but, you know, still not 25% kind of range. Yeah. Um, but but the interesting thing is when you, when you put all this together, um, I'm calculating the gross margin excluding credit. So this is inclusive of full self-driving and everything like that that's, uh, that runs through ASP. Um, but excluding just the credits. And so what we have here is that in Q1, that figure was 30%. In Q2, uh, that dropped to 26.2%, so a huge drop. Um, but in Q3, if these numbers are right, then that gets to a gross margin of 34.7%. So a really, really wow. huge, huge jump quarter over quarter. Uh, and this yeah. is something that, that Wall Street is definitely not expecting. Um, you know, some bulls have been saying like, you know, 40%, 50%, something like that. To me, that seems like a stretch. Uh, especially in light of of Martin's comments, uh, but this to me seems pretty reasonable. And, and essentially, what you've got is costs staying relatively flat. I actually, have them uh, increasing a little bit uh, relative to Q1 uh, if if you do kind of like the weighted average. Mm -hmm. um, but but the ASP increase is is more than offsetting that. So you've got a, a mm -hmm. huge increase in margin, really, because you've got costs like decrease increasing slightly, but uh, ASP increasing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when you run this through, I won't do the full, I, we've already gone on, you know, quite a bit on, on this model. So I won't go through the, the whole detail in the model like we usually do. But mm -hmm. when you, you add in that, that figure into our kind of existing model that, that we always run through and you add just 350,000 or 350 million of credit sales, uh, then yep. you get an automotive gross margin. And just so people know, 350 million credit sales, we're just assuming that as a placeholder because that's what it was last quarter in Q2. So we don't really, we have no idea. We're just going to say it's the same as it was last quarter anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then you get a total automotive gross margin of 35.7%. I do think there's reason to believe that energy and services are going to have, you know, pretty strong margins as well. But those are, you know, frankly, rounding error in the grand scheme of things, uh, but those will start to contribute as well. And so then you'll have total gross margin of 32.7%. Um, and then let's just jump down to, uh, in the interest of time to earnings per share of $1.68. Um, and for, for those watching wow. on YouTube, um, I have Q2 on here as well, and that was 218, but I didn't adjust that for the split. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you, you like times it by three. Times a dollar yeah, well, by three, right? The, the 168, uh, yeah, multiplied by three. Yeah, so it's just, it's a huge increase, um, uh, you know, quarter over quarter. And and so that'd be wow. equivalent to $5 per share. Yeah. Wow. So it's going from 2018 to $5 per share in one quarter. That, that's the equivalent if you if there was never a split, for example. So that's yeah. incredible. It, yeah. And last I saw, Wall Street was at like $1.06 or something like that. I think Gary Black is at like $1.12. Uh, I think James Stevenson is is slightly conservative. He might be around a dollar twenty. So I haven't Wall I Street, his latest. So Wall Street is at like th like pre split at like three dollars and thirty cents a share. You know when it was a two dollars eighteen cents Q two when like Shanghai was shut down for the majority of the quarter and like that's the profit making. Everyone should know that that's like the major profit engine of Tesla for right now. Um, and they still did 218 and now wall street is saying okay yeah shanghai's up and running the whole time and everything's up and running and but we're only going to give you a little bit of credit so now it's 310 or 330 or whatever a share that just seems you know i guess 
that's too modest. I mean, it just seems like like the five dollars is certainly in the realm of possibility or or almost probability in our mind. This is our our model estimate. This is our best estimate. This is where we think like the 50 50 over underline sort of is this five dollars a share, so to speak, right? This is sort of like our estimate yeah. that we think is like 50 50 either over or under. You know, we try to figure out what we think it is for that in terms of delivery. All the assumptions, the main assumptions of the model are the delivery numbers. The cost of goods um, and what what are the other assumptions I'm missing here that we have to assume? Uh, the, the, the ASP increase is a pretty big one. You know, we yes. assume that's three thousand. Um, yes, that it's one. it's very possible that that's that's too high. Um, yeah, it's possible. Yep. But but so like we we've done some sensitivities. I mean, you and I were were playing around with this with this model last week, and it's like when we're kind of going on an Uber bull case where we assume everything's about as good as possible, I think we're coming up with like a dollar 79 or something like that. And when we, yeah. you know, kind of bring things down to a more measured, um, you know, ASP increases and more significant cost of goods sold increases, we're still coming up with like a dollar 55, somewhere in that range, I believe. Dollar 50 or dollar 54. Yeah. So it. yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, Either way, it's a it's a huge beat. So either like I'm totally out of left field, and, and this is just wrong. Um, yeah, which is possible, but it, to me it seems very logical. Um, yeah. Or the smaller assumptions. The smaller assumptions are like the regulatory credits or like the take rate change and FSD. You know, that's a more important mm -hmm. assumption, obviously, but it's less which... important than the price increase for assumption, for example, right? <laughs> Right, right, yeah, and those like just to be clear, I you know I I do have assumptions around those, but I didn't um I didn't really change those, and in fact with the way that I we built up the model this time around, we've actually bypassed all those assumptions. So we're, we're assuming that it's baked into the ASP, you know, all the FSD sales and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, if, if take rate actually does increase, you know, that would be just a, an increase in a, ASP beyond what we've assumed here. So really, we're we're assuming that the ASP increase is just due to timing of the price increases, which they've introduced over the last six months or so. Yeah. 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 All good stuff, Matt. I mean, it, it's really an impressive model. We'll go over the model again in more detail, um, probably, you know, after we get the delivery, the the P&D numbers from Tesla in the first or second week of uh, October on our Tuesday live stream. We'll go over it in more detail of what are a more official earnings per share um, you know, fine tuning prediction is, but right now, dollar sixty eight. Heard it from us first. That's our prediction at the moment, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, and, and you know, Larry Goldberg, who's uh, I see him in the audience. He he posted a a, a model recently too. He came up at a dollar forty eight, and <clears throat> like that that was like I think surprised a lot of people that that he was going so bullish. But I think. As, as we've been thinking through the the detailed buildup, I mean, I think there's just, just reason to think that we are kind of at this inflection point where, you know, there's a step change in profitability. Uh, but it really takes digging into the details, you know, on a plant by plant basis, I think, to really understand why that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, and, and Brian Wang, uh, another friend of ours from Next Big Future, says, any real data about enhanced autopilot sales? We don't really, we did touch on that a little bit, but we don't think the take rate is nearly as high as other people are, are some of the bulls are, are suggesting. <laughs> so yeah. I think we have a, a modest take rate on that. Um, but you could also say some of that cannibalizes the FSD, the full FSD, you know, beta take yeah. rate to some degree too. I think it so will. Almost, it's almost, it's not going to move the needle net net as much as people think, Yeah, in my opinion, in our opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you know, I, my assumption in here, uh, which again gets washed out with the way that we did this up, because I'm, I'm changing the way that the model has historically worked. Uh, but my running uh, assumption was um, a five percent take rate, um, and then one percent of existing like users would upgrade. Um, yeah. But then I, I brought the FSD take rate down about three percent to kind of account for that. So the overall take rate on EAP plus FSD would be increasing, uh, but by a pretty modest amount. Um, and, and that's not really driving the figures here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, why don't we, so what we normally do is we do Q and a, um, from people who tweeted questions to the Twitter thread for good soil invest about this live stream and also from people in the YouTube comments. Um, so we'll do Q and a that the normal conventional way for another 20 minutes. And then we'll probably stop the live stream about an hour, an hour and 10 minutes in like we normally do, but we'll continue on Twitter spaces live for the last 10 minutes and do more interactive uh q a on the twitter spaces because wh whoever's talking on twitter spaces won't be recorded on our our, li our youtube live stream anyway so um let's uh take alec will queue up some questions we'll read and go go over the next 20 minutes or so and then we'll we'll end the live the youtube live stream and keep going on twitter spaces so from calistoker 123 on twitter matt any new insights any new insights from becoming a lemonade customer yeah lemonade is another stock that we talk about uh, from time to time that we were convicted on insure tech play, it's got like a 1 billion market cap. It's very different animal than Tesla. Who's a thousand times bigger market cap, obviously. So anyway, Matt, any insights from becoming a customer of lemonade? No, I mean, nothing new anyways. I mean, I, I think, I think the big thing I spoke about, uh, when I did become a customer for the first time was just like, what a relief it was to not have to like, de like deal with, um, like the, the normal pain points of, of, uh, dealing with an insurance agent. Um, so like the, the most surprising thing was just that they canceled my old policy for me. I mean, that was, uh, just a kind of huge relief. The, the one thing that has surprised me, I will say, and I don't know if we've touched on this on the live stream is that. Uh, I've had nine people use my referral code. Um, wow. I just like, yeah, like I've, I, I used to tweet my like Tesla referral code all the time. I've never had a Tesla referral. Um, but like, I just said, like said kind of my experience on, on getting my home insurance through lemonade and I, how it was kind of surprisingly easy to sign up and nine people, uh, signed up, which, which I was really surprised by. So, I mean, my insights are kind of the same as that they've always been, um, which is like, I, I think the play here is, you know, that the enforced premium per customer goes up, the customer count goes up. And then like, you've got this kind of runaway um, increase in, in the top line and, and linear increase in OPEX to kind of keep up with that. And that's where you get, you know, really drastic operating margin going forward. But I'm guessing most of the people on the, on the YouTube or on the, uh, on the Twitter space probably want to hear a little bit more about uh, Tesla. So maybe the next question we can talk about that. All right. <clears throat> from Tesla economics, again, one of our favorite, uh, handles here. Great name you picked out. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, uh, in the Webster dictionary one day, I think. Um, so question, <laughs> what do you guys expect to see in AI day? Also, do you think a hundred thousand deliveries from giga Shanghai will be achievable this month? Um, I, I, you know, the AI day, we're, we're definitely going to see the Tesla bot. I don't know what it's going to do or it's going to interact with people or Elon directly. Maybe I'm excited to see this thing. 
<laughs> and uh, I don't know what it's, there's going to be some some cool stuff. Maybe I don't know something cool. I don't know if it's going to be like a new. Pro I don't think there'll be new product announcements or like a new Gigafactory announcement. I think they'll reserve that for other things. But I think this is going to be all about the bot and kind of a recruitment tool for AI, uh, real world AI people that want to do cool things. Um, and then the the second part is, do you think 100,000 deliveries from Giga Shanghai is achievable? I think it's possible. I'd, I My over-under is really going to be like 90,000 for this month, which is still pretty great, I think. If they did 100,000 this month, to me, that would be like really bullish for Q4. Like 500,000 deliveries is not out of the question in Q4 then. So uh, that would be incredible. Two th exiting the year, 2 million a year run rate as as you know, the, the steeper part of the Giga Berlin and Giga Austin ramp ups aren't even met yet. I think the steeper part of the ramp up of, of production for Berlin and, and Austin are next year. I think it's still kind of ramping up slowly the rest of this year. Um, so it's exciting. Um, Matt, what do you want to say on the two questions? Do you have any thoughts on that AI day and hundred thousand deliveries? Yeah. I mean, I mean, AI, D, AI day, I'm not really expecting anything, you know, kind of groundbreaking. I think the we'll see some version of Optimus. I kind of don't think it's going to be like knock your socks off. Like it, you know, can do something truly extraordinary. Um, I think it'll mm. do something that's like pretty cool and gives you confidence that like they've, they've yeah. you know, made significant progress in the last year. Um, but they've not been working on this for, for very long. So I don't really have my hopes up too high on that. Um, and regarding the, so, and, and I do think, do you think they'll take like, orders? Do you think they'll start taking orders or deposits? I don't, I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think okay. they're, they're that far along yet, uh, but who knows? They've been taking roadster no. orders for a lot, like seven years now or something like <laughs> yeah. that. So maybe yeah, I'm one of them. Know. Yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. You'll get yours. Hey, it's a nice inflation hedge. Um, yeah. But so like, I think AI day is primarily going to be about recruitment. I mean, it, it seems like that's way more what they care about than like piping up the bot. Um, so mm -hmm. I think it's going to be super technical. I think my brain's going to hurt by the end of it. Uh, and that's really mm -hmm. like, I, I'm not really expecting any like stock price rally or anything like that. Uh, it's probably going to be good fuel for like long-term bulls like we are, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be like a, a huge surprise. Uh, it, I do have this thought that maybe they might introduce like the the thing that they've been working on in um, Shanghai, like the, or the Shanghai design studio that they were talking about. Um, mm. I mean, that's been going for a while now. Maybe they've actually got something they can they can share on that front. So, or maybe it's mm. even just a teaser. Um, so yeah. hopefully there's something cool like that. Uh, and then on the 100,000 deliveries, I'm I'm with you, actually. I was kind of surprised you said 90,000 because that was the, the number I had in my head. Um, oh, wow. Like, uh, yeah. 100,000 is that's just a huge, uh, that's that's a lot of deliveries in just one month for the, for the Chinese market. So um, hopefully they can do it, but um, I wouldn't be disappointed if, if they've got like 90. And and 100,000, I met, I was referencing 100,000 production. Deliveries and production are usually pretty close anyway, the last month of the quarter, give mm -hmm. or take 5,000, let's say at the most. But yeah, anywhere from 95 to 105,000 in that range, it seems like almost very hard to achieve. But if they did, it would be really a great sign. Yep. Next question here from Dave Wolf on the YouTube live comments. Question with FSD beta going to a larger audience, how much, if at all, do you think it will increase the take rate. Um, I think if he waits until, you know, the discomfort level is much more tolerable, then I think that's the time to have it go to the larger audience. And I think maybe that's what he's waiting for. Like you have the safety aspect, which seems to be solved based statistically on the number of beta testers. And then you have the discomfort level, like how to not drive, 
how to drive more human, or maybe another way to say it is how to not drive like a jerk. You know, driving like a jerk <laughs> doesn't mean unsafe. Like stopping all the way at a stop sign, very slowly rolling forward is sort of like driving like a jerk or an old person that gets people upset, but it's not unsafe, you know, like yeah. or waiting super long to make a right turn that's fully clear when the car behind you is like, come on, go already. That's not unsafe. It's just sort of like driving like a jerk or not like a human. So once they get past, I think those discomforts where it's like more like a human and and less like a jerk or less like a someone that's going to annoy other people, then I think they go to wide release and then it's it's highly likely that people will refer it to their friends and be like, oh, this is great. You should you try it or whatever. And, and the take rate could go up quite quickly at that point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I think it's at this point now where if you're an early adopter or somebody who's kind of interested in tech, it's awesome. Like, I really love yeah. just like watching it like uh, improve over time and just seeing like what it's good at and what it's not. Like, I find that fascinating. But yeah. my wife hates it because it's so uncomfortable because every once in a while, it'll just like jerk or do something. And she's like, oh, could you just drive, please? It's like so yeah. annoying. Yeah, my so wife. Yeah, I think I think my test will be like when my wife doesn't complain that I have FSD on, then I think take <laughs> rates going to going to really increase because then you'll, you'll be moving from people who are just interested in the tech to people who are like, wow, this is an amazing kind of convenient, very practical. And comfort feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think EAP, I do think it's important to note, like enhanced autopilot, I think that take rate is really going to, you know, drive meaningful uh, increases over time because it's like navigate on autopilot for people who do road trips like that's that already is like at the that's huge super comfortable, comfortable, like yeah. really relieves a lot of stress on your mind kind, kind of behavior. Yeah. So, so that one, I think that's there already. I don't know how yeah. long FSD is. Navigate going. autopilot, you could set and forget it. You just set your destination. Yeah. If you're as long as you're on the highway, you could just like daydream, but watch the highway and hold the wheel, but watch the highway. And you just, you know, you'll automatically, you know, take over when someone, if, if there's some really crazy circumstance, but you can really, for all intents and purposes, just kind of like daydream while you're watching the road, while it's yep. doing its thing. Yeah. Yep. Next question from Mark Patty on Twitter. How big of a risk do you think regulators and bureaucracy pose to the adoption of robotaxis after FSD is solved? I think, um, I was thinking about this. I think about a lot, regulators in the US and, you know, O'Dowd and the other senators who are trying to make a big stink about this or whatever. And I think that um, the uh, I, there's a chance that even with this self-driving FSD beta, like worst case I see is FSD beta causes some accidents or, or you know, some crazy instances blown up into national media of it hitting a child or something. And Dan O'Dowd was right. We need to do something about this. You know, like it's like there's marches or whatever. It just senators play on that type of uh, emotional outcry of like, the video being shown all over, even though statistically it's 10 times safer or whatever. Um, and then I think there's a chance that it plays out where like some like law is passed federally that you have to get some special license to drive it on FSD beta. And it's going to be such a hassle and paperwork process that like hardly anyone's going to want to do it. And it's going to like slow down everything drastically. And that would, that would suck. You know, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope there's no federal like legislation event, you know, that happens like that. That's my worst case fear. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I don't see it being stopped. I think one state or another state will adopt it quicker than others. One city or another city first, then the state. 
And, you know, and even if it happens in the U.S. where you have the federal legislation, then it just sets it back maybe a year or something for it to go, you know, wide scale adoption in China first before the U.S. or it gets fitted for China and your country in Norway or somewhere else that's friendly to new technology. You know, so I still think it happens. It just delays. Worst case, um, Matt, you have any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say I'm I'm slightly concerned about the the, the NHTSA investigation right now into autopilot. So mm-hmm. um, you know they they've been investigating these these frankly really old crashes by now of like uh, autopilot crashing into you know vehicles parked on on the the shoulder I think it was or it just stopped in the middle of the highway. Um, and just in June I think it was upgraded to an engineering analysis I think which is it's kind of like the last stop on their investigation before it can lead to a recall essentially. So technically like NHTSA could recall autopilot. Um, and if that were to have, like, I, I just don't have the the confidence necessarily that, that they wouldn't go down that this route. I mean, especially with the appointment of Missy Cummings and just like how blatantly political that seemed, or at least like she's, she's got very strong um, misconceptions or, or uh, bias, uh, against Tesla and autopilot. So um, I do hope that like the the data will win out in, in that NHTSA investigation. And I think ultimately it will, but that does have me slightly concerned because I think if there was some sort of recall uh, from NHTSA, that, that could potentially be bad news that I think a lot of bulls are not necessarily thinking is a, is a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Next question from Joel Schroeder in the YouTube live comments. Question. Has the Tesla community changed their view of Biden after the Inflation Reduction Act since it was so good for Tesla? He was getting a lot of heat for a while from the community. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, politics is uh, kind of dangerous uh, waters to wade into uh, on these types of discussions. Um, you know, it's just a dirty business politics. Uh, I guess I'll just leave it at that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the Tesla community, I don't want to speak for the Tesla community on this. Um, I think the inflation reduction act itself was not necessary for Tesla to succeed. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of pork in it and, um, yeah, I mean, it'll help the competitors of Tesla a great deal, uh, try to, you know, become profitable or not go bankrupt selling EVs, I guess. So maybe that's good for all of EV adoption, I guess. Um, Matt, you have any thoughts? Yeah. Farzad says uh, he has not changed his view of, of Biden. And, uh, <laughs> the you know, so I'll, I'll say this, like, I think a lot of times we describe stuff to, to Biden, that is, you know, the administration writ large, um, the, the kind of pure bias against Tesla certainly um, evoked strong reactions from the community, I, I think of uh, in a negative way. But I'll yeah. just say from my own experience, and I, and I I'm completely on board with those criticisms for for what it's worth. Um, I, two things I'd say, you know, one, this Inflation Reduction Act I think is definitely a good thing, not only for Tesla, but I think it's it's on the whole good for the country. I think people, reasonable people, could disagree with that, but I think it's you know at, at least a reasonable thing. And I do think the the administration's stance. I'm not sure I want to ascribe all this to to Biden or not, but I think the way that they've handled the Ukraine situation has been uh, pretty impressive so far. Um, I mean, the, yeah. the way that they they called out before the invasion even happened, that you know, there was all this Russian disinformation and kind of calling out what Russia was going to do. And then, you know, kind of supporting uh, the Ukrainians without getting into an outright, you know, arms fight. I do think that that's something that the administration has, has done well. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that as well. Yeah. 
From Brian Wang, if Tesla officially announces new factories in Q4, like Canada, and perhaps some more, what would it take for it to be a share price mover? Yeah, I mean, at this point, Tesla is so big, a trillion dollar market cap, like for it to suddenly get revalued at like a 1.5 or 2 trillion dollar market, for it to be meaningful where it moves the share price, where people start buying it like at a 1 trillion market cap because they think it's a great deal now because of this news news event. I just, I just don't know um, if any one event like that is going to have such an effect. You know, I could see like a 2% move in a day from something like that, maybe. But um, I think it's a culmination of things and it has a lot to do with, you know, the earnings per share. That's probably the biggest driver and, you know, um, the, you know, forecasts of PE, forward PE of Tesla and the fundamentals improving. But events like a new factory or launching insurance in new states or two new factories or, you know, getting into lithium mining, you know, these are all helpful. I think they help move the the tide for Tesla in the right direction. But I don't think any single announcement or stuff like that for Tesla at this point, being a trillion dollar market cap now it is, is going to move it substantially by itself. Do you have any thoughts? On that? Yeah, I, I mean, it might even be <coughs> bad news potentially. Like one of the most common... Um, you know, uh, bear critiques of Tesla is that they're overbuilding Model Y capacity in particular right now. So, you know, people are saying, oh, why are you building capacity for like 2 million Model Ys a year? That's crazy. Like you're going to, yeah. you're going to overbuild and you're going to end up with all this transit capacity, which is like how auto companies go bankrupt historically is having too much capacity. Um, so I, I don't think the market would at all say like, oh, good. Like there's more credibility to the 20 million by 2030 target. So let's increase the valuation. I think I think the markets are not looking at this the same way that you know, most people in this audience are, are looking at, you know, the the importance of a new factory. Yeah, so I agree with you. EPS is gonna be a lot more important in the medium term, short term. Yeah, going forward for sure. Yeah. I mean, back when it was like a 20 billion market cap or 5 billion market cap or 30 billion market cap company, I feel like. You could have a big event that materially changes the valuation estimates by investors of what Tesla will become. But yeah, once you get to the, like such a big number as a trillion dollar market cap, you know, like Apple announcing a new factory, you gotta think like, oh, if Apple, what what single announcement could Apple potentially do now that moves the price more than like three percent on a day? <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's really nothing. Even if they did announce like a car, you know. What's that going to do? Move it up five percent, maybe? I don't know if they're like announce a car with specs that they're taking orders now. Maybe it moves it up five or ten percent. That's like the most amazing thing they could potentially do out of the spectrum of things Apple could do. But I don't think that would even ever happen. Like, um, but yeah. Anyway, let's go to the the next question here from Terrence on YouTube Live. Hey Matt and Emmett, what's your fiscal year twenty twenty two and fiscal year twenty twenty three earnings per share estimate for Tesla? I'm wondering what the target price would be based on a thirty to fifty PE range, putting aside macro. Thanks. So we sort of touched on that a little bit in the model. We'll go over it more in the next uh version of the model. But I don't know, Matt, any rough back of the napkin uh thoughts you have on those you know, thoughts you have on yeah. that? So a couple of weeks ago I I posted my my estimate for um 23 and I, I don't remember the exact, exact figure but it was somewhere around like nine and a quarter something like that i want to say um mm -hmm. and so the, the rough math on that would be you know it's like slightly uh, above 100 pe right now based on the current price forward pe um but in the last two weeks i'm like the given the the deep dive on like the unit profitability that we just went through 
and especially some of the news that's come out recently is, is how drastically the energy storage business is really ramping up right now. I, I expect like those two things to be pretty meaningful uh, drivers of, of margin going forward. And so um, while I haven't updated my 23 forecast yet, I'll probably wait until <laughs> we, we actually get the Q3 numbers so that, you know, there's a little bit of meat on the bone of these projections before we go out to 2023. Um, but my sense is I'll be, you know, increasing my my estimate pretty substantially. And um, I mean, you could just, I don't think I would double my estimate, but if I did, then, you know, that'd be a PE of 50. So I, I think we're trading somewhere between like a 50 and 100 forward PE right now. Um, but Wall Street's estimates are a lot lower than mine. So, you know, their implied PEs are a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's do uh, one more question on the YouTube live stream here, and then we'll uh, go for, then we'll end the YouTube live stream and just finish off another 15 minutes of interaction on the Twitter spaces here before the next Twitter spaces starts up after. So last question here, the YouTube live stream, Calistoker123 on Twitter says, what's your initial reaction to Cruz's announcement of scaling up in Austin, Texas within 90 days? Um, scaling up uh there I, I guess that's there's have you heard about this announcement i mean yeah there was don't mean a lot to me right now but uh yeah i, we'll, I think they're we'll, actually going to do it so they, they i mean they're in san francisco right now i think they announced they're going to be uh phoenix and austin phoenix yeah it was somewhere else i couldn't remember exactly where but yeah there was one other city and austin um I, okay like it's it's a <laughs> It's not profitable as is, at least that's my understanding. And and mm -hmm. they don't have a generalized solution that's going to work, you know, nationwide, let alone worldwide. So um, like even if it, it's it definitely is reality that other companies are launching autonomous ride hailing services faster than Tesla. Like that's true, but they're not doing it in a way that I think is meaningful to valuation and, and to like value creation in the long term. And so um it's it's kind of a non-issue in my mind unless tesla's fsd like really stretches out another decade and it turns out that like you can hd map the entire world in the decade that it took tesla to you know go from now to like truly solving the generalized approach yeah yeah i mean cruise um it's a it's an entirely different philosophy the way waymo and cruise are are approaching um full self-driving level four versus tesla and uh, yeah, I think Tesla's way is is the way. I trust um, Elon's assessment of 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 uh, why uh, it's the way, and it becomes more clear to me the longer I'm seeing it play out um, that you know the real world data is probably much more important than anything else, and the neural network approach, you know, versus you know uh, geofenced uh, micro mapping approaches, you know. So um, yeah. We'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens. All right, we'll end the live stream here, and we'll keep talking on Twitter Spaces Live for those who are on YouTube Live that want to keep listening. But uh, we'll be on next week on the YouTube live stream as well for going live with Good Soil episode sixty four, same time, and uh, we'll keep it going. Alec, if you want to shut down the YouTube stream.